You are listening to a podcast, not just any podcast, but the 22nd podcast of the Something On My Mind program. I am David. And I am Cindy. Welcome to this week's program. We are here to provide you a refreshing view on finance, current events, and whatever else is on our minds. And our goal is to improve your financial fitness, and we like to do all of this with a side of humor. Okay, so what's on the docket this week? What is the something that is on our minds? For this week, we are excited to have a special guest today, and he is Captain Tom Chaby. He's a highly decorated Navy SEAL with 26 years of service. I am so excited to have Tom as our guest today. And we're so grateful that he's taken this time out of his extremely busy schedule to come and be on our show. And I'm not only honored to have met such an esteemed leader and hero of our country's military, but I've had the privilege of being coached by him and work with him in developing my personal goals and truly becoming a more effective leader to my organization Okay, before we get started, I'm going to highlight some of Tom's background so you can understand what impact he has brought to the world and our country. Throughout Tom's career, he has built and led teams conducting special operations in over 60 countries. After 9-11, Tom led a task unit of 50 SEALs and support personnel conducting special operations in Afghanistan in support of the initial stages of Operation Enduring Freedom. During the latter part of the most critical fight in Fallujah, he led a task force of 400-plus personnel and he conducted full-spectrum special operations in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. In addition, he was also stationed in South America, leading counter-drug operations throughout Colombia and the region. He also spent five years as a deputy commanding officer of the SEAL Training Command and as a SEAL instructor to lead the current generation of SEAL operators. Now in Tom's post-SEAL career, he has provided consulting to 100-plus high-performing organizations including the NFL, the NHL, NBA, MLB, NCAA, and Olympic sports teams. He's also helped Fortune 500 organizations become more effective, which include two collegiate football teams become national champions, I believe that's Alabama, a collegiate tennis team win a national championship, a World Series runner-up, an Eastern Conference NHL runner-up, and two high school state football champions. Whoa. (laughs) He's a machine. So you can see he's good at his craft. Uh, He's a machine. I mean, and on top of that, he's a giver. He's giving. He's a benevolent person. And we'll talk a little bit about this in the podcast. But he supports Warrior to Warrior, Vintage for Vets, and Quantum Leap Farm. And these are all efforts that focus on deinstitutionalizing solutions to prevent suicide with active duty service members and veterans. So what an absolute honor that he's taken time out of his very busy schedule to be with us today. So without further ado, let's get to this interview. This interview was conducted by way of video conference, and therefore, there may be some degradation in quality. Thank you. All right. So we are so excited to have Tom today, and we want our listeners to know, as they always do, that we're here to, we put this podcast together because when we met, our interest was helping people. So we both had backgrounds in finance. We were raising kids on our own. And it was very important to us when we came together. We realized we we have a message that we want to send out. 
how do you get that out? So we were inspired through COVID. We found the silver lining. We basically came together and said, let's put a podcast together and let's see who we can collaborate with to spread our message. And um, I could not be more excited to have Tom Chaby with us today. First of all, you're so busy. I, I'm just um, humbled that you stopped to take time to not only meet with us, but answer some of the questions that we have and we want to share with our listeners. And I've had the privilege of meeting Tom through business and understanding what he's about. I'm in leadership. Um, his whole background that we've talked about already is going into organizations and becoming uh, a catalyst to large and small organizations getting to their best, their the highest possible team effectiveness. And this is such a privilege today, Tom. Um, so I, without further ado, let's just talk a little bit about what you do. What, you know, we have so many questions for you, but kind of start with your background, high level um, in terms of we've introduced what you do, but just give us a high level. Where, where did you start? Obviously, uh, highly decorated U.S. Navy SEAL, but how did you get to this and why? Fantastic. First off, uh, Cindy, David, thanks for inviting me tonight. It's an honor to be here. And thanks for the question. Uh, yeah, my, my, my journey to, to get where I am today really, really started when I, when I was a young man, a child, actually, back in high school, just looking for what my purpose in life was. And really, I was not that academically focused. I would do well just to get through school because it was expected of me. But I focused on being part of a team. I loved team sports. And that's where I found myself, essentially. I came from a, a broken family. Interestingly enough, a huge percentage of Navy SEALs come from broken families. And there's a whole sociology they think behind it, the gang thing, and we're looking for our place in the world. And, and, and that's what I was doing as well back back in my, uh, my teens, just looking for people, purpose, belonging, all those things. And, and I found it through team sports. And from there, I kept on that same trajectory into college where I continued playing sports. But then the academics started taking a bigger and bigger priority. And I realized in order to be successful in life, I was gonna have to have some credentials. So I wanted to get a degree and I worked towards that. and I got my degree, uh, went right into the financial industry where I was a mortgage broker and I was a, a little bit offline there. I just didn't fit in. I was young, I was taken out of that team environment and I was kind of put in a cubicle where I was doing a lot of phone work, a lot of not computer work, because this is all pre-computer, mind you, as I date myself here, and just really getting after it. So I, after one full year pulled out, and started coaching. You know, for me, coaching was great, but I knew it wouldn't be my future. Um, I did a few years of that, and then I found uh, found my new goal, and that was to become a Navy SEAL. And I went through the pipeline, applied, went through the training. I was very fortunate, only 20, 25% of the guys that get accepted to go into the program make it through, and I was uh, fortunate. Because one of the biggest reasons guys don't make it through, and I say guys because to date no women have gone through, they're now allowed to. So I'm sure in the next few years we'll see the first woman seal. I suspect we'll see it in our lives. The biggest reason guys don't make it through training is because of injuries. And I was just blessed where I didn't get hurt. 
or hurt badly, at least. They did have one minor knee operation in the middle of training, but I was good to go after a few weeks with that. It was just minor meniscus deal. And um, went through, went in the SEAL teams, and dang, I got everything I wanted. I was part of a team. And, you know, our nickname, we are called the teams. That's what they call us, and I love it. I love it. It's not about the individual. It's about the teams. So I was a SEAL for 26 years. I was a leader. I led teams as small as four and as large as um, upwards toward 1,000. Worked in over uh, 70 countries around the world, leading special operations, and just had the honor to work with some of the greatest Americans and leaders from other countries as well. Uh, Upon retiring five years ago, I needed my next purpose. And my next purpose was to become an educator, an optimizer, somebody that could help others take their individual objectives or their team objectives and realize their full potential and get after the goals that they're trying to achieve. So for me, um, while I was a SEAL, I had a few jobs that really prepared me for that. I was a SEAL instructor, and then I was the deputy commander of all the SEAL training for a couple of years as well. And then I ran a full spectrum resilience program at the end of my career that focused on performance optimization. So that was about six or seven years out of my 26 year career where I was focused on training, focused on development, focused on building greatness, dare I say. So that's what I do now. I'm embedded with organizations, sports teams, uh, and and I just get in there. I take a hard look, I'm candid, I have a platform. I'm fearless with what I see and what I say. you can't hurt my feelings. I'm impervious to that. And I, I just love getting in there and seeing something that somebody else may not see. Or maybe they see it and they just can't say it the same way I can. And, you know, my new phraseology, if you may, I call it operationalizing greatness. Because at the end of the day, the things that we need to do in anything in life, in the financial industry, in school, in sports, in business, in a relationship, the things you need to do to succeed in, in, in anything in life, it's pretty simple. It's all right in the palm of our hand on our smartphone. It's all there. If you do what your phone tells you to do, you're going to kick butt. But the hard part is doing it and, and, and finding the right way to do it and finding a way that it resonates with you that you understand wow, I need to circumnavigate this pesky little thing called human nature, you know, entitlement, laziness. There's all these things that different people suffer from. Uh, But the the great ones, the people that are the leaders in each of their domains, they find ways to get around those things that prevent them from optimizing their performance. So that's what I do now is I help organizations be great. So like in sports, I guess I always like to use the phrase, someone who really kicks butt and do, does all these things that you said, you'd be kind of considered a gamer, right? I, that's the way I look at it because I played a lot of team sports and I still do. And and you're right, there's no replacement for camaraderie and working with a unit and a group and achieving things because also you have all those memories and takeaways, right? And, and it frankly makes you feel good because you have that in part of you in your life and you can't, no one can take away from your memories and history. So that's, um, I think what you're saying is can be relatable on many other fronts, right? Not just 
military, if you will, but like you're saying, across all these other organizations, like your background is working with a lot of the sports teams, right? I, I read about that. So that makes sense to me. I'm looking at a couple of things I wanted to ask you here, um, going back just a little bit, but you said that most of the guys don't make it through uh, the training because of injury, right? But, you know, people see things on TV and blah, 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 and movies, but in a sense, when someone's out there to get through the program, if you will, how hard is it really? I mean, how tough is it? Like, it's not just meant for the the average Joe, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair question. And, you know, I was an instructor for three years. And, you know, I watched classes go through hell week after hell week after hell week. And for those that aren't familiar, hell week is the crucible event of SEAL training. It's a five and a half day training pipeline where you get four hours sleep. And that's not four hours per night. You get four hours total sleep over the five and a half days. You'll get 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there. You're, you're, you're almost better off not sleeping because it's miserable going to sleep for 10 minutes and then waking up after being awake for three days. And, and at the end of the day, how hard is it really? I, I truly am not minimalizing how hard, how difficult it is. If you're an average high school athlete, you're physically capable of making it through. And just to correct you on one thing, I'm not sure if injuries are the primary reason, but they're a big reason. Other reasons are injuries, one, not meeting the standard. There are standards you have to meet. You have to pass certain thresholds, times, things like that. Um, that's the second one. The third one is people self-select. They're like, this sucks. I want no part of yeah. sitting in cold water for three hours. Um, when I say cold water, we're talking about 55 degree water. And you're in there, you're on the brink of hypothermia. And they've, they've worked out all the charts. They know the average human with this percent body fat can stay in the water for this long at this temperature. And what they do now, they're bringing technology into it. Before we even go into those drills, they give us a pill and, and we swallow yeah. the pill. And inside that pill is a little mini thermometer. And then they have a device where they go right along your stomach and they go, your body core temperature is 98.6. You're good. Get back in the water. Wow. You're down to 91.4, you're done training. So that might be somebody who didn't meet the standard. And you know, you're not going to get kicked out of training because you go hypothermic. But if you go into a hypothermic reaction time after time, you're probably not going to make it through. Um, so frankly, the guys that make it through, you, you think you could figure it out. You know, we would look at every class and the classes start out with like 110 people and they finish with about 30 and maybe 25. And, and, and you look at the classes, and you see these all-American athletes, road scholars, guys who play professional baseball, professional football, professional this, that, whatever. You guys look at them, you're like, damn, that guy is going to crush it. And they don't. The guys who crush it are the ones, frankly that have overcome things. Because the one thing you cannot train is knowing how to navigate failure. You can't train that unless you have failed somewhere. And these superstar people that are just unbelievably genetically gifted, academically, intellectually, emotionally, physically, in every way, they're just superior. And that's the way it is. Some people won the lottery and they got, they got you know, they're 6'3", 230 pounds, 8% yeah. body fat. They run a 4440, can bench press 225 for 35 reps. You know, all the stupid things we talk about. 
they've never failed a thing in their life. Guess what? You're going to fail something. You will fail something in SEAL training. Even if you don't fail it, you're going to fail because they'll manufacture failure because mm -hmm. we need to know how you'll deal with failure because we can't wait till you're in the mountains of Afghanistan to see how you're going to deal with pressure, how you're going to deal with failure. We need to know now. So those guys that have failed time after time after time, they're like, you can't hurt me. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's yeah. so true, though. You know what's funny? We 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 watch a lot of survival shows on like uh, Naked and Afraid or like Alone <laughs> on um, Amazon or whatever. And the ones who, like you said, we always think the ones that look like they're buff and all set up. The ones who they're, actually they're the ones crying in the corner, capping out for three days, and it's, it's actually usually the skinny women. Yeah, that's so true. No body fat, <laughs> and they have good mental fortitude, and they. I think they come out better than all the other guys do. Well, and you know, honestly, we talk often, and this is even from our kids' perspective. So we're a blended family. I've always said, I know why my kids will be in therapy someday. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is we had challenges in life, big challenges that we've talked about on our podcast a little bit. But, um, but my kids understand what it feels like to be homeless and to be challenged and to get through things that frankly their friends in school that were handed everything every year their friends got computers or their friend was the best athlete or ex just excelled it was i i truly believe the challenges and the adversity build the character and the will to survive and succeed and move forward and you know we're not perfect parents our kids aren't perfect kids but we both have you know we i love this message that you're that you're talking about because um, if you never fail, you just won't understand it. And I, it's a, it's an amazing concept. People wouldn't think so, right? Well, that's the hardest part as a parent is that you have to learn to let your kids fail at things. You can't be there all the time to make sure something goes out right or comes out properly, right? If they don't learn how to fail a bit, they can't achieve things. And that's probably what we did a lot is we let them go. You know, at some point you start weaning them off the nipple, if you will, and eventually let them learn those lessons so that they can start figuring out things for themselves. So well and you're um you're a parent, Tom. So talk about that with us. We talk about our kids a lot and raising kids and just even the challenges of that. How what's what's your parental method? I mean are are you a softie or or are you a, a Navy SEAL? I'm a softie until I'm not. And then until I'm not. you're not. I'm because uh, I'm pretty relaxed. Not much will send me off, but um you know, you know, just sticking with the theme that David was hitting on there with the parenting, not being a snowplow parent and, and letting your kids fail. And I'll tell you what, failure is a gift. Adversity, this whole pandemic thing, it's horrible. I know some people, my heart goes out to my thoughts and prayers are with people that have lost family members and friends. Um, it's sad, you, you know, and, and I'm not making light of what's going on with the pandemic. We lost 40,000 people last year to the flu. And, yeah, nothing was going on. Nobody said anything. I, you know, I felt bad about those people too. Uh, but here we are without a vaccine, without a cure, with a with a pandemic, and you know, we, we have to do certain things. We have to modify our behavior. We have to change our comfort zone and get outside of it. And I mean, all right, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to let it become this thing that drives you? on a negative trajectory, or are you gonna look at it as this thing, this the impetus, a catalyst, to use your word used, I love that word, 
I don't use it often enough. You said it earlier, Cindy. You know, are you going to use it as a catalyst to just change how you respond to those challenges? You know, for me, I'm watching my family. This 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 whole COVID-19 thing has been a blessing. It's crazy. Our family has never been this close. I I've never been in one place this long since 1987. I figured it out right. the other day. I it's crazy. I haven't been further away than 15 miles. I drove over to Tampa the other day. I live in Florida. And um, since March, since the last time I saw you down in uh, mm -hmm. South Florida, you know, since early March, since I saw both you guys were there. And right. I haven't gone outside of 15 miles of right here. And so we're together. We're eating dinner at the table every night. We're turning mm -hmm. the TV off. We're, we're going outside. We're doing sports. We're just hanging out. Florida's a little bit more relaxed. We've been able to go to the beach. Um, our gyms are open, but you know, something I love to do. I wasn't a big bicycle rider. I wasn't mm. a cyclist, but I have, a, I have a bike. I mean, I've been riding like a madman and I'm in the best shape I've been in, in like 15, 20 years. I really am. You do look great. It's just, man, COVID, bring it. I want more of it. <laughs> well, you're ready for the program again, man. You're all buff. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. No, that's, it's funny. I mean, earlier podcasts, we've talked about the silver linings of COVID and I, it, I almost feel guilty saying that there's silver linings, but I think, you know, hands down, I've had many conversations with my clients, our friends and exactly what you're saying. And, and it's either going to make it or break it. There's either going to be a lot of divorces at the end, but I, what I see truly the message is your message is that People are finding the value of being together, eating at home, walking the dog, getting on the bike, and really sort of rediscovering the family unit. I think it went by the wayside for many years, and we, you know, run our kids around to sports, and we have our own agendas. And of course, you being in the business that you are in, you're, you know, you're traveling a lot, I'm sure, um, and we're busy people, and and having something so catastrophic happened to reignite people's view of family and um, just family values. It's, I think that's the same thing we found. We did a topic on uh, family dinners and kind of to what you're saying, right? And some of the stats say that the average dinner time people spend just eating is 12 minutes. And then back in the 60s, right, it was an hour and a half. And you and I grew up in that, and you're probably in the same age range, I can tell that it was more of that going on, even in broken families. At least you have some memories, maybe with grandparents or maybe friends you knew or whatever. So the real question is, is that going to continue when things go back to normal? I mean, hopefully that, you know, it does, but um, it shows you the well, significance. Well, it will. It will if you prioritize it. it, it, it you know, that's, right. the day, that's the key. We know, like I said earlier, we know what we need to do to have a great family. Exactly. Spending more than 12 minutes at dinner we'll say five nights a week, you know, there's going to be a cut like tonight for me. Cause we're doing this. Right. My kids are eating on their own. And it's the first time in like a month they're eating on their own. So they're like, thank God I get a break. No. <laughs> yeah. No, they probably are watching some crazy show. I don't let them watch. So that's great. <laughs> Actually, when, when my son Chase was in ninth grade health class, they asked all the kids to raise their hands. And the question was how many of you eat family dinners together? And he was the only kid who raised his hand. And a, like a four out of seven night basis. So, yeah. but, um, so, you know, back to just in that vein. So your kids, do they, are they looking to follow in your footsteps? If they wanted to follow that path, what would you say? 
obviously I think you'd say go for it. You know, my dad and I, he's a great guy. We're not super close. I love him. Fantastic guy. But the one thing he did really, really well is he didn't try to pigeonhole me or drive me in a certain direction. You, you know, if I showed interest in something and an aptitude in something, he supported it 100%, without doubt, unequivocally. He just responded. And I do the same thing for my kids. I mean, I'm, I, I wanted to do sports only because, uh, not because I wanted to be little mini-me's or be these scholarship people or, yeah, you know, if they have an interest and you're good enough, that's great. If they just do it, get the benefit of being on a team like we talked about earlier, that's what it's all about. That's the bottom line for me. And yeah, following my footsteps, I, I, sure, that's great. If they want to do it, I, I will tell you this, I will not mentor, I'll help them, but I will get them one of my teammates to mentor them if they wanted that's to do that. That's great. And hold them accountable and really challenge them in a different way where I'll, I'll totally help, them, but I'm not going to be that guy. I think it would just be very, very disruptive. No, it's kind of like the uncle thing. Sometimes it's like, you know, like the uncle or somebody else that has a good influence, like I do with Ryan, right? He really listens to me and I appreciate that, right? You can, you need to step away and let somebody else look at things a little bit and handle them. It's, it's your, my opinion, like from what you're saying, you can be too close to it. Yeah. And it's nice yeah, to have I an really, outside. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've coached my kids in football. <laughs> I was like a maniac on the sideline, but, you know, <laughs> but I did all the right things, you know, like I, I, I definitely held them accountable and that's what it's about. This is the thing. If I'm going to make one pitch today, you know, when it comes to kids, it's accountability, just hold kids accountable to a standard and they're going to end up. Okay. I, I really believe that, you know, I look at my life, I, I wasn't held accountable. I could do whatever I wanted as a yeah. kid. It's amazing that I got out alive. I mean, I literally was allowed, like I lived, I grew up 13 miles from Manhattan in North New Jersey. I mean, when, when I was eight, nine years old, I was allowed to get on a bus and go to downtown Manhattan. Oh my gosh. And it was, it was like, wow, what'd you do? They would like, wow, that's great. And I was just roaming around Manhattan with my buddy Bob Cassidy or something. Yeah, you know I mean. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Now they'd be finding your parents. Who's that kid shooting dice there in the alley, kicking everybody's ass? Right. Yeah, it was a different world back then. But no, it wasn't. It's, it's funny. I was listening to a radio uh, show this morning, and that it was that very thing they were talking about when we grew up. So I grew up in the 70s and was a teenager in the 80s. So I had a lot of freedom. There was no phones to track me. There was... You know, I did a lot of stupid things and some days I even think, I know my mom's listening, but I think, God, I we're lucky we made it out alive. Um, the stupid things we did behind our parents' back and uh, and she's coming here this weekend. So she may hold me accountable to that statement. But, you know, it was when, when we were growing up, we kept the doors unlocked, the cars were unlocked, the keys were in the car, kids were on their bikes, you know, a mile away or two miles away from their house and there was no thought about it. It's just a different world now. We just can't, we can't do that. But the accountability part is absolutely what you preach and, and what, um, again, I've had the benefit of working with you and understanding what that truly means. And especially in the team dynamic and the, the team concept there, it's so cliche, but there is no I in team. So you have to, you have to stay accountable. So this leads you to- You know, if question. I could just pile on a little bit there, you know, accountability, most people look at it as this 
threatening, negative confrontation. And it really, effective accountability doesn't work like that, in my opinion. Effective accountability is non-emotional, it's non-judgmental, it's black and white. You have mm -hmm. values and expectations nested underneath those values, and you're either meeting them or you're not. And if you're not, like if, you know, you know, we'll use something simple. You need to be home by 11 p.m. on Saturday night for a, for a young boy or a girl. And they're late, so they didn't meet expectations. It's not this, hey, you didn't, it's just you didn't meet expectations, so there will be, what, this thing, this amazing concept <laughs> called consequences. Consequence, exactly. Yeah, go figure, right? <laughs> right. It's like, don't get me started with the politics when they, they just, they don't hold people accountable. No, and that's a great way to raise kids and have them understand, you know, yeah, go ahead and, and uh, cross the boundary a little bit. But they're, it, I mean. I like to look at it like this, like what I would say to the kids, it's okay to make a mistake, but don't keep making the same mistake. Because that's when I, when I would raise my voice and go, okay, this is not cool, right? I get it. Everybody's going to make mistakes. That's how you learn. That's what we talked about earlier in this podcast, right? So that's a gift, as you said. I think accountability and honesty, and those are the two, those are the two absolutes for me as an honest person. And if you're, I believe in karma too. So, but it's, uh, that's a great message. So actually, let me ask, let me ask this yeah. question. You go into these organizations and you've seen success come from those, especially even with sports where you list, you know, national championship, right? Like uh, Alabama. So when you're in there and they breeding you in to do this, how do you get them to buy into what you're selling more so to say, how do you get them, you tell them this, how do you, how do they buy into and execute to become successful from the message that you're bringing them? Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's it. That's the challenge. I mean, I mean, ultimately when I go into these organizations or these sports teams, I don't have the, some secret sauce that somebody else doesn't have. We all, we all have the same tools. It's who can convince who can build the buy-in? You know, I have a huge advantage because I have a platform. And, and my platform is, you know, having been a SEAL. It's, you know, branding-wise, it's pretty powerful these days. And I have street cred when it comes to performance optimization because at the end of the day, I had to build team effectiveness and individual performance optimization to prevent death on the battlefield to ensure strategic success, where if we failed, the secondary and tertiary impacts of that failure could make the nightly news, and that would be bad. So I have that street cred, I have that platform, so that gives me a huge advantage. Then I've done it myself. Not only am I a player, not only am I a leader, I've also been developing teams for years. So you know, the resume piece, the language, how you speak to people, how you interface. You know, I, this, this isn't fake for me. This is all I think about all day long. I think about performance optimization and team effectiveness. And how do you convince? You know, you look at, I work with University of Michigan football. And I, I'm gonna say on that team, we'll say there's 120 players. There's 15 players, 15 of them, that matter more than the other ones. It's just a fact. If they buy in, man, it's 
game on. If they don't, so sorry, game over. Um, so how do you get them? So your question, David, is spot on. How do you do that? And, and there's no one simple answer. There's not. It's not, okay, the process for building buy-in is X, Y, and Z. It's for Cindy, it's going to be this, this, and this. For you, David, it's going to be something a little different. And I learned that lesson the first time I had a woman as a teammate that worked for me. And I hate the word subordinate. I'm going to say mm -hmm. it once. I think it's an ugly word. I call yeah, people that fell under my chain of command teammates. And I had a woman that was one of my teammates. And I'll tell you what, building buy-in with Erica, that was a year of my life where I grew. And it was probably a good thing that happened before I got married because I learned so much, but it was <laughs> different. It was different and different things resonated with Erica than did with my other teammates. And they were all, that was the first woman that ever worked with me. And that was eight years into my career, keep in mind. I mean, it was pretty, pretty early on, but it was a big chunk of time where I just worked with men. And everybody's different. And you, know, you look at, how do you communicate modalities? Here we are. I mean, I know this, this Zoom feature or this go to meeting feature isn't going to be with your podcast, but you we're all looking at each other, but we're 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 listening, we're speaking. Um, you know, there's different ways to communicate. And that's one of the big lessons learned I have from COVID is I used to think face to face, that was the only way to do things. That was the only way to have an effective meeting. And then guess what? COVID-19 hits, you're not allowed to go face-to-face -face anymore. Figure it out. Okay, so we start doing Zoom and go to meeting. And, and now I'm like, wow, this is great. And I'm 100% positive on this. In-person is not the best solution. Go to meeting, Zoom is not the best solution. It's the hybrid between the two. When you're hitting people with different modalities. So, so periodicity, how often are you hitting them with a message? What modalities are you using to try to get them to modify their behavior? What examples are you using? And guess what? I'm not going to always be the solution. I, I'm not. You know, I work with Michigan football. We'll stick with that example. And there's 120 players on there. Some of the players love me. And I talk to them and, you know, we, we, we speak every few days. Some of the players want nothing to do with me. So I have to find another way. Maybe find a mentor, somebody who they identify with, and, and try to build a solution around each teammate. Did those fifteen players, for example, buy in? Yeah, well, I, you know, we'll, we'll never not know this. Based on the record, Tom, not based on the record. And <laughs> <laughs> the season is canceled for the fall. At least, hopefully, we get something in the spring. Yeah, I, you know, I always feel I can do better. There's a, there's a word, Cindy and I, I've shared this word with Cindy. It's uh, not in the English language. It means continual improvement. And we don't have a single word to capture the concept of continual improvement. Uh, but the Japanese culture does, and it's Kaizen. K-A-I-Z-E-N, continual improvement. And that's how I live my life. It's like I can always get better. And they have this whole other concept of marginal growth. And we were talking about that Saturday, Cindy. And um, it's, you can always, you can make this podcast 1% better, yeah. not to make you lose sleep tonight, but you know. Oh no, I do every time. Jamie <laughs> could have answered a question a little bit right. better, uh, but you can always do something to just grow 1% and you know, you know, sticking with the finance theme that we've brought up a couple of times, compound interest, 
grow one percent daily, man, that's gets powerful after a while. No, it's uh, it's it's amazing because that's the impact that you have had on me as a just as a leader, as a person, as a, a spouse, as a mother. You know, I I get I I can be whiny and I can feel sorry for myself some days, and then the next day I wake up and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? You know, I've got it great. I have a great job. I have great people in my life. Um, I'm doing something to help other people that are listening that don't know us, that maybe they know us through our voices. But if there's anything that I can do for myself on a daily basis, I really wake up every day thinking I'm just a work in progress. I'm nowhere near where I can be. I'm nowhere near it. Well, you should always um, be a work in progress, right? Like every day I'm like, if I don't have a couple of goals, something that I knocked out, I would feel horrible going to bed, right? I have to have something that I knocked out because it opens the, the, the door to the next thing, whatever that may be. And sometimes the best part about life is you're not, you don't know what that door is going to be when you open it, but you want to actually get there to actually open it. So I know we don't want to take too much of your time, but I do have a few more questions. If, if you have a few more minutes, um, I think keep going. We're good. okay. So I, uh, I mean, I could be here like three hours with my list of questions, but we'll, we'll spare you of that. Um, talking about, I want to go back to you on the field and in the battlefield and pressure situations that you dealt with, you know, that's probably more than anybody in their lifetime. I know the days that I get stressed out and I feel like I, I got to throw in the towel. I can't, I can't do this. I can't manage it. I can't manage it, my own expectations. And it's a terrible feeling. And I know that you were leading hundreds of people in very uh, serious situations. How do you combat that? Where, you know, do you, did you ever get to that point? Like, God, I just feel like crying right now. Well, not, you're a Navy SEAL. I don't think Navy SEALs cry, do they? <laughs> yeah, no, no crying in baseball. Like Tom. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I will say there, there were times, you know, you lose people on the battlefield and, and, and we're downrange. I, I kept a log on my last deployment and I, over a seven month deployment to Iraq for this one, at least, I, I slept an average of two hours and 53 minutes a night. So you, you look at that, just your, the endocrinology piece is just right. crushing. Uh, but just on every level, it's bad, bad, bad. And I, I used to have this stupid attitude of, uh, you know, I'm going to quote another great movie, uh, Roadhouse. If you remember Patrick <laughs> Swayze. Yeah. Roadhouse. Oh, yeah. Roadhouse. Sam Elliott. Yeah. Oh, Sam Elliott. All night or something. And he said something. He goes, I'll get enough sleep when I die, was the quote. And that's kind of uh. how I look at it. And, <laughs> oh, man, that, what, what a big mistake when I learned about the science behind sleep. Oh yeah, no, it's critical. Science behind handling pressure and 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 people, you know, people look at at least I did, and I think most people do. They look at handling pressure as this thing that you're blessed with, like that six foot three, two hundred and twenty pound guy we were talking about at the beginning. You're genetically superior. You're ice man. You're ice woman under pressure. But yeah, okay, yeah, maybe because of circumstances, maybe a little bit of genetics. I don't think genetics are a big part of this. They are clearly part of it. Just being healthy is a piece of it. But owning pressure isn't a genetic thing. No more than being a good leader is a genetic thing. They're both skills and you can learn them. And that's what I do. And you can grow in both of those arenas. And the question you had, Cindy, was what do you do? How do you, you know, you have to first own yourself. 
you have to own pressure. And it, it's my hobby. I'm, I'm looking behind my laptop here. I've got dozens of books on just sports psychology, owning pressure. And it's just, I should have gotten a degree in psychology because I love it. I literally, I can, I, I see a book, I buy it. And it is a skill and you can grow in it. And, you know, I don't mean this to be arrogant, but I wasn't this way at the beginning of my SEAL career. I wasn't this way when I was an athlete. I was never a choke man where I choked under pressure, but I was really, I was Iceman. I've got a couple of examples, those glorious moments. And maybe you, Cindy, if you played sports, you have. David, I suspect you did. Mm -hmm. You know, you had that moment, like, where everything, like, I, I remember this game. I was playing football. I was untouchable. I, I just, it was crazy. Um, I just, I couldn't do anything wrong. And, and I, who knows what I was doing differently that day. But I, I know now, I understand it. So I can deliberately put myself into that place. And, and just to bottom line it, it's your perception. How you perceive what it is you're doing is going to send a signal to your brain that's either going to create the chemicals, the neurochemicals that flow through our blood. If you perceive it one way as a challenge, I can do this, I have the skill, I'm excited, it's going to be fun. It's kind of how I'm looking at this podcast right now. I'm getting after it. Let's have, let's have some fun. Um, right. You're going to create the right neurochemicals. You're going to be in this place where you can perform your best. But then all of a sudden, if you're like threatening, oh, no, somebody's going to listen to this. I'm going to be embarrassed. You're going to think I'm an idiot. My wife's going to go, what kind of guy did I marry or, or whatever. <laughs> you know, you're going to create a whole different set of neurochemicals that are going to disempower you. So you have to remember how you think, how you perceive whatever it is you're about to do. It's, it's going to set the conditions either positively or negatively. So I totally choose to set the conditions for success every time. There's a great book, and a friend of mine wrote it, um, called Top Dog. Top Dog. And it's by Ashley Merriman and Poe Bronson. So Top Dog talks about the science between winning and losing. It's the science of everything I just talked about. You know, it reminds me like when um, people are like drug addicts, right? Their neurochemistry is off, right? And they think, well, if I just get off the drug, I'm cool. Well, that's step one, right? Like because I can't even focus until everything clears out of the brain and then you reset it, right? So it kind of reminds me of, I remember, I remember playing sports and I play shortstop and I threw a ball over somebody's head, you know? And it's like, I'm pissed, so what do I do? And if I let it get to my head, I might throw another one over the guy's head and make a second error. So, you, you know, the ability to shut that off is the hardest part, right? Or when somebody's going through adversity, like a divorce during work, are they gonna let affect all these other things in life at the same time? And you have to really be able to focus and keep all those other things in check while you're dealing maybe with a bigger thing at the same time. And that's what I always notice about people is not having that ability. It's a skill. It's a skill, David. Pure and simple. And it's something that I've been messing around with improving my ability to perform under pressure for 30 years now, literally. Mm -hmm. And I think about it every day in one form or fashion, and you can always get better. Yeah, and I, I totally get that you can wake up and one day just decide what your day is going to be for you by just pure positivity. I mean, I, I do it. I do it with myself. If I feel, you know, things are just getting me down and like dig myself out, you, you're a leader, you're a doer, you, you can overcome this and you can 
subscribe to your own, you know, your own buy-in of that. And understanding that sky's the limit for the people listening and the people coming up or the the people that think that they can't do, they can. And that's our message is just believe in the change that you can implement on your own. I've done it. I was a single mom. I struggled. I know what it's like to struggle and I know what it's like to overcome that challenge. And, you know, the best thing I ever did was doing that on my own and then meeting David. And then now like the power that we have figured out together that we can parent and save money and create things around us that are just positive for our house or our friends. It's uh, your message is amazing. And your, your impact is amazing to, to me having the privilege of knowing you prior to this podcast. And so who taught you about money? What do you, <laughs> did, did anybody teach you about money growing up since, since we're sort of a, a money type podcast? No, I mean, I, I came from a, a, a fairly fiscally responsible family, uh, you know, not amazingly so, but but good. And, you know, at the end of the day, I had to have jobs to, to do the things I wanted to do. I, I, I wasn't given the new computer, like you mentioned earlier, every year. And, you know, if I, if I wanted to do things, I had to figure it out. So figuring out money, just you had to come up with those answers. But I, I've read some great books. The Richest Man in Babylon is a great one where just the value of you know how you take money and what you do with it. And you know, then I studied it in school. I, I mean to me it's mind boggling that we don't teach our kids mm-hmm. how to handle money in, in, in school. <laughs> like that's way more important than this math. Like I've been doing this for years. I wrote a finance book, personal finance book for layman's I got a website that's like non-for-profit and we're going to expand our podcast. And so because it's such a need out there and geez, two thirds of all people don't even budget. And it's so if you don't budget, you don't know where your money is. And I, it blows my mind, too. It, it's 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 sad. But it's not taught. And that's when we met. We were trying actually to proactively write a, a educational program to get into schools to help teachers teach money. I mean, because yeah. so many kids get out of college and. It's it's not a natural thing. The natural thing is you get money, you want to spend money. There's a whole concept of getting money and holding on to it and saving it. And you, like you said, compounding interest. That's that's our our best friend is compound interest um, in everything you do, right? From life to your own personal values, compounding that marginal gain every day or every week or every month or you know, by 1% or even a half percent. See, but what that does is it makes you protect it because success breeds confidence. And when you see something growing like your money or growing in your skill or overcoming something, then it becomes more infectious. And then the more you build, the more you will maintain it. And I don't think that. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you asked me that question before, how do you get people to do the things they need to do? You, you know, there, there are three books. You know, I already mentioned the richest, the richest man in Babylon, the millionaire next door, and then Rich Dad, yeah. Poor Dad. There are three books I read. I'm not this financial guru, but those three books, if you do everything in those books, and, 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 and you can have immense fiscal financial success if you do, you just have to do it. And you know, who, who does everything they say in the book? Like less than 1% of the people that read them. You know, I mean, do I do everything in them? I don't. You know, I'm, I'm also lucky I married, the woman I married, Allison, 
I remember before we got married, she said, hey, do you have any credit card debt? And I'm like, a little bit. She's like, yes, that'll be gone before we get married. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, it's game on with her. I mean, there, she's, she's the one in our family. She is all That's busy. That's great. Yeah. That's great. No, we laugh because when I met David, I'm like, here's my um, negative checking account. <laughs> But, I, but I'm really charming and I can be a lot of fun. I said in one of the podcasts, it's not often that a guy goes for a girl who's bankrupt and has two kids, no house to live in, but we, we made it work. Hey, I put it out there. I am who I am. I struggled the way I struggled. It made me a better person. It, might, it made my kids, I think, better people. Um, and, you know, life doesn't always come easy. It's I always say it's what you do with the adversity that you're faced with. It's not the adversity, it's how you handle it. How I raised, you know, as a single parent, but anyway. Hey, I got a really stupid question. I've been electrocuted, so I know what it's like, and it's it's not fun. David. And we don't have to keep this on the podcast. <laughs> but uh, I mean, did you ever like hook somebody up to like a car battery, and, you know, <laughs> run some voltage to them to get them to talk? <laughs> He's been David, dying to ask that question. Sit up in Michigan, we'll do a little waterboarding and I'll teach you all about it. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, do you think that I could ask Tom if he's ever hooked anybody up? I'm like, well, no. Been electrocuted, so I figure it's not that you did this necessarily, but you see people getting tortured. I see it in a movie. I'm like, I know what that feels like. Uh, it's just like the movies. Yeah. Keep the myth, keep the myth going. It's awesome. So what <laughs> yeah. So why don't we get to his? Um, yeah. So we'll we'll let you go soon. I just really want to talk about. The impact, you know, outside of your business realm and the cult consulting that you do, um, you impact people very, very personally through the three charitable charitable organizations that you're heavily involved with, and um, you know, talk about it's giving back, it's paying forward, and and what you do, um, you probably don't even ever get to see the true effect of that after you um, you work with people on this regard. Yeah, th thanks for asking that. For, you know, for me, you know, you know, I didn't go out to get benevolent. It was, I, I, I didn't like one day say, hey, I'm going to go. I need to be benevolent. And, then, you know, some people do that. It, it, it kind of like overwhelmed me. I had, I had a job, and I mentioned it earlier when I was going through my background a little bit, where I was in charge of resilience. And a, and a component of resilience is emotional, psychological, strength, grit the ability to handle adversity, which, which has been a theme throughout today. And, you know, sadly, since 9-11 hit, all, all the negative trend lines that they measure to look at different groups of people, you know, like alcohol use, drug use, domestic abuse, um, child abuse, depression, and, and sadly suicide, all those things used to be lower in the military, in the special operations community, the SEAL community especially, than in the general population. But since 9-11, they've all leapfrogged above where suicide has become this challenge. And uh, yeah, sadly, I, I, I'm close to a bunch of them. And part of my job was to re really take a hard look at what were the causes, what was the catalyst for each one. And now I have to do the forensics. It wasn't like I was an expert on this, but I was the leader that was taking the psychologist, the social worker, and you know the family counselor, and piecing this whole thing together and trying to figure out 
what can we do differently to try to create the conditions that won't allow people to make this choice? And, and I don't use this phrase, people committing suicide. I don't. Yes, some people commit suicide. They go like the people from, you know, on Jihad when they're like Allah Akbar and they, they blow right. themselves up. That's committing suicide. But most of the people that we hear about, like the ones suffering from PTS or other things, they fall victim to suicide. It's mm -hmm. something a year, maybe even months before the act happened, they would have been incapable. Like imagine that right now, that any of us, the three of us, we couldn't do it. If I got to that place, I would move to South America, change my name to Jose and, and, and work on my Spanish and get a new job. I just, I couldn't, I can't imagine doing it, but you know what? I had a couple of friends that they were more resilient than I am. They were these juggernauts of leadership handling adversity and they fell victim to suicide. So uh, you know what? it's uh, not, it's not. And there's a whole endocrinology piece to it that I could talk to you for hours about that's kind of dovetails and parallels the handling pressure endocrinology piece with the neurochemicals we talked about earlier. That's another talk for another day. So for me, mm -hmm. the benevolent organizations I work with focus on uh, helping those that are struggling with the depression. And there's so many things that cause that, but there, there's never a reason worthy of doing it. So we, we just got to be there. You got to be, I'll just tell you the one piece of advice I'll give you is trust your instincts. If you think something's off base, you're probably right. And, and don't let that person go away without talking to them. And if you're not the one to talk to them, figure out who is and, and, and don't leave them alone. Yeah, that, that's you interesting. You know more than you know. And, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. It's just, just trust their instincts and be, be fearless in asking questions. Are you okay? Do you need help? Hey, I'm gonna stay with you tonight. Or I'm gonna go get my wife and both of us are gonna stay with you tonight. Or hey, let's go to dinner. I want to tell tell me how you you know, whatever. Ask questions. Be open, and and watch when things change. There's something's going on. You know it. So yeah, and I would imagine that there's enough signs that you know. I think people get into a little bit of denial. Like no, it's not. You know, they've said that a million times before. But that million times before, the the million and one is the one that now it's too late. And so I would imagine that there's enough enough signs maybe maybe not i don't know i have never had anybody um immediate to me take their life or fall victim to that but um uh, but i've had people say stuff in my life that i'm like hmm you know that doesn't sound right that's not characteristic that seems very out of character i i should pay attention so that's you know that's great advice and and uh warrior to warrior vintage for vets quantum leap farm all three amazing organizations and uh we'll put the links out obviously yeah, we'll when links on there so if anybody wants to donate to that they, there's there's a way to do that with these uh, organizations you're with yeah absolutely good is there any um so we can let you get back to your night and your kids have gone wild on tv shows over there so um is there any parting words anything that you just want to leave our listeners with if there's any one thing that stands out you know set conditions for yourself, stay accountable, getting through COVID, the challenges of that. I, I, I know we're going to dig out of this eventually, but um, what parting words, Tom? Yeah, my, my parting words are 
here we are. We're in this pandemic. We're in these changing times. You know, some of it's very real. Some of it's really scary. And, and some of it's political. It's both of those statements are true. And they're, they're, they both could be true at the same time. How, how you handle this is everything. Perception is everything. But what I would challenge everybody to do is take a look. Take a look at your life, your personal life. Take a look at your family life. Take a look at your work life. Maybe those three domains, personal, family, work, are probably the best three. And look at what's working now. What's working? Wow, okay, that's good. That's good. What's kind of not, not working? What's off a little bit? And, 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 and ask yourself those questions. Why is this working? Well, this is working because I set the conditions beforehand. And, you know, there's reasons. Nothing happens by accident. You know, I have a, I work with teams and I say great teams don't happen by accident. They don't. They don't. They may accidentally do the right things, but they don't happen by accident. It's really simple. And it's the same thing in life. And, and the thing, you said it before, Cindy, adversity really doesn't, yeah, it can build resilience. It can. But the thing it does more than anything is it reveals. It reveals where you are. You know, when you, when you have to make that hard decision between something that's right and something you really want, that's when character is revealed. And right now, a lot of things, like a lot of things in my life, I'm like, wow, I thought I was better at that. I need to work in that area of my life. You know, it was mostly my family piece, but some of it's work where I see some weaknesses in my business model where I need to be more nimble. I need to be more out there electronically. I didn't have an electronic footprint. I, you have a website, great, but you know I needed more than that. So there's some things that I discovered. So just get reflective and, and fearlessly look at yourself, ask yourself questions and like what's working, what's not. I think this podcast you're doing is great. I don't know if it was born during this pandemic or beforehand. Yeah, no, yeah. born during the pandemic, truly yes, born during the pandemic. So you're like, I guarantee you, you know, I have no idea but I guarantee you, this is good for your marriage. It's fun. I mean, I had fun. This is fun for me. I love Thank talking you. about topics like this. So this is great. Well, you're already you're doing outreach already in the digital footprint by doing the podcast. So you got a starter right there. Absolutely. Now we, uh, man, I'm just, I, if I could give you the virtual hug, like right through uh -huh. the screen. I mean, I uh, I just appreciate, David appreciates, I mean, I'm not speaking for you, but um, no, this is great. We, this is why we do this, to bring on people like yourself that can spread good messages and they can take something from it and actually apply it. Because you need somebody else to tell you, right? We all need other people. We need to help each other out and, and improve, right? So it's fantastic. We really do. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Best of luck. You will we'll be talking about other things, but best of luck with the podcast. Yeah. And, uh, to everybody out there in podcast land, uh, <laughs> best of luck to you all as well. Thanks, Tom. Thank you so much for being with us. We can't thank you enough and have a great night. You as well. Take care. Okay. Well, we can't say enough again about Tom coming on to share his time with us. We think that was a great interview, and we hope that you can get some takeaways from that. We talked about a lot of interesting things, and we hope that you can use this information to help yourself or help other people. I think one great point that Tom made was that you have all the answers in the palm of your hand. He referred back to it as your phone, for example. 
The point is, is that the information is there for you to make things happen in your life. The difference is, is that you actually have to execute them. So it's much easier said than done. But yes, knowing that we have information that we can utilize ourselves, then we can do things to make sure that we improve our lives and make better decisions. Okay, with that being said, that will end our podcast for this week. If you'd like to be a guest or submit a question to an upcoming show, go to somethingonmymind.net. So until then, until next week, I am David. I am Cindy.